Hey detective, welcome to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, a podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew Files series. I'm your host Teagues and today's book is Case 22, Fatal Attraction. There is no news to report, so before I get into it, if you like the podcast, it would mean heaps to me if you could review it on iTunes. I would love, 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 love you forever, detective. Anyway, let's get straight into it. So the case is Case 22, Fatal Attraction, and this case involves Nancy trying to save Brenda Carlton from, I guess, herself in retrospect. But no, her dad's concerned about her new boyfriend and wants Nancy to investigate. So that means this is a Brenda-heavy book, which I like because she's one of my favourite characters. Fatal Attraction came out in April 1988, and it's not to be confused with the movie that came out in December 1987, starring Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. Two totally different things. I actually wonder if uh, people accidentally brought a copy of Fatal Attraction thinking it was the book version of the movie. (laughs) That would be quite amusing. If that happened to you back then, let me know. I would love to hear it. On our cover, we've got Nancy Drew wearing stonewashed black jeans. She's got a purple t-shirt on. It's tucked into her pants, a black belt, and she's holding a camera. Behind her is, I'm going to assume it's Ned, but it might be Brenda's boyfriend. But I'm definitely more assuming it's Ned because he's so close and he's quite attractive. Um Actually, no, no, it is definitely Brenda's boyfriend just because he's wearing the same outfit that was described in the book. And behind them, there is a a barn that's on fire with lots of black billowing spo- uh, smoke, rather. And Nancy is running away, and there's someone in a blue shirt running with her, but I'm not sure who that could be because they're half cut off. Now, into the book. The book begins with the crew on vacation. Of course, in the first paragraph, there's a comment about Bess's weight. She's exhausted after playing a volleyball game. Um, it's not a huge comment. It's more describing how Bess is always complaining about being five pounds overweight. They're at a lake. I don't know what lake it is. I could assume it was Fox Lake because they've been in Fox Lake before because Ned's parents have a rental up there. However, they didn't specify that uh, they're at Ned's rentals. They just said they had a, like a rental house up on the lake. So who knows which lake it is. Nancy's on vacation. She doesn't want to solve any mystery. She doesn't even want to do a crossword puzzle, which seems very weird to me. I mean, I don't think crossword puzzles are mysteries, but I guess it is called a puzzle. Hmm, yeah, all right. Okay, I can see where the author was going with that one. Ned Nickerson, Nancy's boyfriend, kisses Nancy and best makes jokes about public affection and then mentions how she saw Brenda Carlton at a club called Charlie's getting it on with a guitarist. Bess was really, really jealous because the guitarist was so hot. So from this, we can guess that it's going to be a book about Brenda Carlton. Um, We've seen Brenda a few times in the past. Uh, We saw her firstly in Secrets Can Kill and then in Buried Secrets. I believe she's been in other books right now, but yeah, I just can't think of them. It's really hard to keep track. There's so many people that can remember every single thing about every single River Heights book and Nancy Drew book rather. And I'm just like, how? How do you remember all this? Have you read them like 60 times each? It's like, I feel like I've got a good knowledge of it all. But yeah, some people are just next level. For those who haven't listened to the previous episodes or haven't read the books, uh, Brenda Carlton is a reporter at a newspaper called Today's Times. Her dad is the editor of the paper 
and she's a very, very stylish and sophisticated girl. She's always very fashionable, and she's also Nancy's arch rival. Those two do not like each other at all. I think Brenda thinks Nancy's just a a loser, but I also think that Brenda might be a bit jealous of Nancy's skill, and Nancy's just annoyed at Brenda because she's bratty and she always blows Nancy's cases or gets in the way of the cases at least. Also, Bess was at Charlie's without Nancy. I feel like Bess has such an active social life outside of Nancy and George. I believe that George does as well with all her numerous sporting events and whatnot, but it's multiple times in this series that Bess has gone out doing things without Nancy and George, which is good for her. She doesn't want to be, you know, stuck with just one group of friends, but I just found it interesting. All of a sudden, a courier appears and hands Nancy Drew a note. Nancy doesn't want to read it. She's on vacation, considers throwing it back in her bag, but curiosity gets the better of her. The note reads, Nancy Drew, you are urgently needed to work on the most important and confidential case. Without your help, someone you know may be in serious trouble. It is imperative that you meet me at the High Point Drive-In Theatre at 10 tonight. Come alone. Okay, well, I guess... Nancy's not going to be on vacation any longer. We have a case to solve. Nancy, of course, cannot say no. And if there's someone that she knows who may get hurt, of course, Nancy wants to do anything she can to save her friends. Ned offers to drive Nancy back to River Heights for her meeting at the abandoned drive-in cinema. River Heights has so many abandoned recreation facilities. I guess people don't like having fun in River Heights. There was like obviously this uh, abandoned drive-in theatre and there was also an abandoned mini golf course in Never Say Die which we heard of when Nancy was sent all around town trying to find this blackmailer drop-off point thingy-majiggy. Regardless, it's a really, really creepy place to organise a meetup. Nancy hopes that it's just a quick meeting and she can get back to her vacation. Somehow, I don't think that's going to happen, Nancy. Anyway, who else has organised the meeting but none other than Frasier Carlton? He is the editor of Today's Times and Brenda Carlton's father. He wanted to meet in the abandoned amusement park so nobody sees them. It turns out that Frasier wants Nancy to investigate Brenda's new boyfriend, the singer from Charlie's that Bess had mentioned earlier. It turns out that Frasier thinks the guitarist, whose name is Mike McKeever, is only dating Brenda for her money. Well, they're very, very rich, so that makes sense. Uh, They met in a club in Florida and he followed her back to River Heights. Call it a reporter's or father's intuition, but he thinks that McKeever isn't just the sort of person to give up a decent job for love. Charlie's doesn't pay much and Brenda covers all their dates. He got weird when Frasier asked uh, him about his family and when a number plate check was done of Mike McKeever's motorbike, because of course he's a magician and a cool guy rides a motorbike, the plates had come back from a scrapped bike. So yes, that definitely sounds suspicious and reason for concern. Nancy was all like, yeah, nah, there is no way I'm helping Brenda. But Nancy, being the nice person she is, agrees to help. She doesn't want to see Brenda getting hurt, even though she dislikes her. So, oh, what a lovely person Nancy is. I want to be more like Nancy Drew. She's so compassionate towards everybody. And I feel like I'm not compassionate. And if it was like my worst enemy, it's like, no, like let her learn her own lesson. I'm not interfering. Regardless, Nancy's a better person than I am. Ned agrees to help Nancy on the case and they head straight to Charlie's. 
The club is mostly young people and one old guy who looks about 50, he has grey hair. They see Mike McKeeve straight away. He even takes Nancy's breath away, which is really unusual. Nancy notices cute guys a lot, but for them to take her breath away, I don't think this has happened since when she first saw Daryl in Secrets Can Kill. So what does this guy look like to make him take Nancy's breath away? Well, he's got dark curly hair and looks broody and sultry. Ooh la la. He's movie star handsome with light gray eyes, a strong and muscular muscular rather, chest and strong arms. I must admit he even sounds sexy to me. Mm -mm -mm. Brenda is watching Mike play. She's forever the most sophisticated style queen. I think that's why I love her so much. She's just so darn cool. She's wearing skin tight white pants, a white top, her long black hair is loose and she's got her nails painted plum red. After Mike's set, he goes over to Brenda for a makeout session. Nancy and Ned join them and Brenda starts bragging like she usually does. We learn that Mike and Brenda met in Miami and they instantly fell for each other. We learn that Mike has played all around the country and places that are nearby to River Heights. What's that? New mentions of places near River Heights? This map nerd's ears are pricking up. We learn that River Heights has nearby towns called Silver Hills and Batesville. Neither of them are real places in Illinois, though. I looked it up on Google Maps. Sad face from me. We also learn that Mike grew up in a small town called Oakton in Vermont. There is no Oakton in Vermont in real life, however. He is staying at a dumpy hotel in River Heights called the Ridgeview Motel. It is on Ridgeview Road. So I'm adding that to my little map. I can't wait to show you this map when I'm finished. Oh my God, I'm having the best time making this map. Brenda said that he'll soon hit it big time and no more dumpy hotels for him. Nancy is glad that Brenda is bragging about Mike. This makes her case a lot more easier for getting background information. Suddenly, the grey-haired man Nancy and Ned saw earlier flips their table and runs away. Brenda asks Mike to chase him, but he doesn't. He seems angry and a little guilty. Why didn't Mike chase the old guy? He spilled iced coffee all over Brenda's beautiful white outfit. Brenda's going to be very mad about this. Nancy and Brenda head to the washroom to clean Brenda up and Brenda is mad and thinks that Nancy is interested in Mike and warns her to stay away. Nancy is annoyed because Brenda just annoys her plain full stop and wishes that she didn't take the case because, you know, she's trying to protect her and Brenda's being rude to her. The next day, Nancy gets straight onto the case. Her first call, Oaktown, Oakville rather, Vermont. The name doesn't ring a bell to the person who answers her call, but they will do some research and call Nancy back. And then she calls and gets help from none other than Dirk Bowman. Okay, this is exciting. In the last episode, I said there are barely any repeat characters and I'm being proved wrong. Dirk was from Book 5, Hit and Run Holiday, and he helped Nancy on a case when she was down in Fort Lauderdale. He's a detective with the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. (laughs) I love this. I love when repeat characters turn up. He asks Nancy to send a photo and fingerprints via fax, mind you. He tells her that he will look into Mike. Then he flirts a bit with Nancy and says he wants to see her again. Dirk was weird at the end of the book. In the original text, he kissed Nancy, which was very inappropriate. But in the revised text, they took that part out because it just doesn't seem appropriate for a police officer to kiss a teenage girl. 
The clerk from Oakton calls back and tells them they have a record for a Mike McKeever born July 18th, 20 years prior. And not only that, but they also have a death certificate saying Mike died when he was five years old on July 23rd. So, there was a Mike McKeever from Oaktown, but that person does not exist anymore. They unfortunately died when they were very, very young. The clerk said that when people request birth certificates, they don't check them against death certificates, so it's easy to steal an identity. (laughs) Oh gosh, I wish it was that easy. If I want my birth certificate, I have to supply so much ID, plus let them know what I had for breakfast that morning. Anyway, we know Mike McKeever is not the real Mike, and I guess that proves Frasier is right about Brenda's new boyfriend. Something is up with him. Nancy needs a photo of Mike to give to Dirk. She heads to Charlie's to ask the manager for a publicity shot, but it's been stolen. Thankfully, she runs into Mike. She asks if they could share a soda, but he's on his way to meet someone, and he says that someone is not Brenda. Then Nancy references book four, Smile and Say Murder, and tells him that she worked at Flash Magazine. She wants to take his photo as the magazine may like to feature him. He loves the idea and poses with a glass of soda. Afterwards, he leaves, but Nancy doesn't get a chance to get his glass for the prince as the waitress was too quick to take it away. So I really love that flashback and using the Flash magazine excuse. Like, yeah, I just, I'm a nerd over this. I love continuality. Nancy makes a stop at McBride's drugstore and when she comes back, the camera has been stolen. She notices Brenda's car in the area and wonder if it was Brenda who stole the camera, but she figures it's unlikely. She finds it weird that a promo photo was stolen too, so the thief probably wants the film and photos of Mike, not the actual camera. Hmm, who was at the club? Nancy had mentioned it was empty. It could have been anyone. So Nancy devises a new plan to get the photos. George and Bess will act like groupies and get the photo. They head to the club and Nancy and Ned begin a makeout session in the car while they are waiting. All of a sudden, the parking lot light goes out and they hear a scream. Bess and George are getting attacked. Oh my gosh, you're supposed to be on lookout and now all of a sudden your friends are getting hurt. This is very irresponsible of you, Nancy and Ned. Nancy and Ned race to rescue them from the attacker who is wearing a mask. Nancy manages to rip the mask off and the attacker was the man with the grey hair and the grey beard. This is the man from before, the same guy that flipped the table. Hmm. Okay. Theory time. I think the man in the grey hair may be the real Mike McKee's father and wants to find out who stole his dead son's identity. What do you think, detective? Do you think that this might be the case? The man runs away into a green car and drives off. He thankfully didn't manage to get the camera, but Bess and George are injured and angry. I don't blame them. George has a black eye and Bess has some scrapes on her face. Maybe the man with the grey hair is also an employee of Charlie's because he's always there and he was able to cut the lights just before the attack. Hmm, it's quite mysterious at the moment. The next day, Nancy eats pancakes. They don't specify that they're strawberry pancakes, but whenever Nancy eats pancakes in the morning that Hannah had cooked, they've been strawberry pancakes. She also chats with Carlson and Carlson, Carson, her father, about the case, and then she calls Frasier to fill him in on the details so far. 
Later on, Nancy drops the photos off to be processed. More photo processing. What a pain. I don't miss having to do that at all. She then meets up with Bess and George and they break into Mike's hotel room. Nancy manages to get a fingerprint off the glass on the bedside table and George finds a note. Dear Mike, it read, I just have to tell you how much I miss you when we're not together and how much I love you. I pray that we'll never, ever be separated from one another, just the way you always promised. Love and kisses, Adala. Oh, oh, Brenda's not Mike's only love interest, I see. I wonder who Dala is. And also, they find a ticket stub to the Batesfield Country Fair, which is fair because Brenda said that he had played there. Suddenly, they hear someone coming and... They jump into a maid's cart full of linen. Bess duns a maid's hat and pushes the cart so the man doesn't see them. Jumping into a maid's cart in a hotel to avoid being seen is the oldest trick in the book. I love it. I would have loved this episode to be a TV show. Mind you, I watched the TV show that came out in the early 90s. Um, I can't remember who the actress is, but there was the girl with the black Bob and oh my god it's terrible anyway Nancy takes a peek from the cart and she sees it's the gray-haired man again he takes out a key and puts it into Mike's door and walks in okay so maybe my theory is wrong I guess Mike and this man know each other so there goes the the real Mike McKeeve's father theory Nancy spies on the man and tries to listen in on a phone call that he's making, but she can't hear anything and learns nothing. Then Brenda appears, knocks on Mike's door, and the grey-haired man tells her that Mike isn't there. Brenda seems confused that the grey-haired man is in the room. She leaves shortly, and after, the grey-haired man also leaves in his green car. The crew decide to follow him. A few blocks later, Nancy notices that Brenda is following them too, and she is furious. I would be too. Why is Nancy always around Brenda's new boyfriend? What's she doing? Or is Brenda also following the green car too? That's also quite possible. The man heads into the city centre and stops at a library. They lose Brenda by running a yellow light and Brenda runs a red light and then consequently gets pulled over by a police officer. Oh, that's terrible. I know that Nancy needs an arch nemesis in this book, but I do feel sorry for Brenda. They head into the library and see what the man is doing. They learn, according to the librarian, that he was looking up the family history of the Carltons and that she found it weird that he was more interested in how much money they make instead of the family history. She gave him what he needed and suggested for more information, he heads to the River Heights Historical Society. I also, as a side note, just found it interesting that the library is in the city centre. I guess that makes sense. Most uh, towns have a civic centre full of all offices. They have mentioned Judiciary Square numerous times in the previous books, and I Guess the library's close to that. It's going to be fun plotting it out on a map. It's lunchtime, so that means it's time for Bess to talk about food, and they make plans to go to the Creekside Patio for lunch. They head to the car, and there is a message scrolled on Nancy's windscreen. Stay away from Mike McKeever, or else. Hmm, <laughs> I can guess who wrote this. 
It is in dark red letters. I'm going to assume it's Brenda and she used her lipstick and yes, indeed it was. At lunch, they discuss the case and Nancy breaks it all down. It's beginning to look to me like a con game with two players. I'm speculating now because we don't have any proof, but it may be Mike's just a decoy. You know, the guy with the fatal attraction who lures the girls. He's certainly sexy enough. The guy we saw doing the research on the Carlton Financial Holdings could be the brains behind the business. Okay, Nancy, I think that's a really, really good theory. That would make sense, Nancy thought. What was it that Mike had said when she suggested that maybe Flash Magazine might be interested in a photo feature? He said, then I'd be able to get away from, hmm, maybe this line is getting distasteful for him and he wants out. He just wants to be a guitarist. I actually totally missed that line during the photo shoot. So I things is actually starting to click. Nancy visits someone she knows at the phone company who manages to trace the call the man made from Mike's room. It was to Batesville and he copies down the number and gives it to Nancy. So much for privacy, am I right? Can you just go into a phone office and say, trace this number for me? Don't you need a warrant or something like that? Nancy is super excited about this. It means that she has three links to Batesville. Brenda mentioning it, the ticket stub, and now the phone number, so they make plans to visit the next day. Nancy calls Fraser and fills him in. He is furious. Sometimes I just don't understand my daughter. How could anyone so bright act so dumb? Nancy doesn't disagree. Fraser tells Nancy she can use the fax machine in the Times office. I guess their office is in River Heights. I just assumed it was in Chicago for some reason. He tells her to sneak in via the back door so no one sees her. Unfortunately, she is busted by Brenda. Nancy simply tells Brenda that she is faxing things for her father, Carson Drew, and Fraser offered his office. Okay, that's weird because I'm sure Carson's office would have a fax machine, but Brenda manages to buy the excuse. Brenda again warns Nancy about being around Mike and Nancy sarcastically tells her not to worry. She wouldn't dream of interfering in Brenda's little game, which is a weird thing to say. What game? Hmm. Like is Brenda in on this like Mike stuff as well? It's time for Ned and Nancy to check out Silver Hills and Batesville's. What do these towns know about good old Mike? These towns are listed as a couple of hours drive away from River Heights, and it's a drive through rolling green hills of the country sound side, rather. That absolutely sounds sublime, and I wish I was going for a drive through the countryside right now. As soon as I'm out of lockdown, I'm going on the longest drives ever, because I miss it. <laughs> Pretending to be music journalists, they ask the clerk at the Chamber of Commerce in Silver Hills about Mike and him playing at the Sweet Corn Festival. Imagine having a festival all about sweet corn. I feel like the Midwest of America has so much vegetation or farming lands because I know Idaho is famous for potatoes and I guess Illinois is famous for sweet corn maybe. Who knows? I just, I'm a city girl, I well, a suburban girl rather. Like the country life is so foreign to me and it's just nice to go there for country drives and eat at the cute little cafes and restaurants that they have dotted around the rustic old streets. I know I talk about this all the time, but I really, really hate being in lockdown and not being able to go further than five kilometers of my house. We're in eight weeks of this and hopefully the restrictions are getting lifted tomorrow. Um, and as I'm recording this, it's the 26th of September, but who knows? 
Anyway, getting back on track, they're at the Chamber of Commerce in Silver Hills. The girls at the counter recognize Mike but tell them his name isn't Mike McKeever but instead Mike Malone and that there was a girl called Laura Rogers that he was more interested in than music. She tells them that her friend Pam works at a beauty salon in town called Beauty Box and she would know more about the situation. And I think Beauty Box for a beauty salon is a very, very cute name. So they head to Beauty Box and Pam spills the news about her now ex-best friend. We learned that Laura was engaged to Pam's brother. Then Mike came along and swept Laura off her feet and broke up with Pam's brother. Laura's family were rich and when they heard Laura and this Mike guy were going to elope, the rumors were that the family paid him and his buddy to leave town and that they did. His buddy? None other than the gray-haired man who we now learn's names is Felix. So it looks like these two have a pattern. I'm guessing a similar thing happened in Batesville or wherever he met this Dala girl. And Brenda is his next target. Despite not liking Brenda, Nancy reminds herself that again, she doesn't want anything bad to happen to her. What a lovely heart Nancy has. Nancy and Ned discuss this later that evening back at the Drew's place where Dirk calls and tells Nancy that they got a hit on Mike's photo. He was involved with a girl called Dala DeCamp in Fort Lauderdale and then she went missing only to be found in Batesville dead. Ooh, this just got serious. Is Mike or Felix a murderer or did Dala just drown? Unlikely, I think that's too coincidental. Seems that Laura got a lucky escape. Nancy is super worried about Brenda now because Brenda being Brenda probably is just blinded by love and would probably help Mike get away and will be in on the plan. Yeah, I think Brenda would probably do that as well. George and Bess arrive and it's dinner time. Despite Bess already having dinner and of course making weight jokes about it, they're keen for a second dinner because there are no calories in Hannah's kitchen. (laughs) I love that. That's really cute. Oh, I'm gonna just pretend that there's no calories in my kitchen from now on. I miss my grandma. My grandma was called Hannah as well. Well, she wasn't actually called Hannah. I just couldn't say Nana. So I called her Hannah. And maybe that's another reason why I like Nancy Drew, because we both had a mother figure called Hannah. Anyway, I digress. Hannah makes everybody grilled cheese sandwiches, tomato soup, and chocolate cake. Then Fraser Carlton calls and tells them that he overheard Brenda making plans to meet up with Mike at Flanagan's farm and wants Nancy to keep watch. Nancy agrees. Best notes that it's a weird place to catch up because there's nothing there but a few broken down barns. Well, it might just be me, but I can imagine what two people in their early 20s would do in a broken down farm. But anyway... The book does make note that it's a popular spot for River Heights teens to hang out. So yeah, I can guess, we can all guess what they're going to be doing there. The farm sounds really, really pretty. It's described with a glowing moon and fireflies. I've never seen a firefly. They're not in my state. And there are rumors going around that the bushfires that Australia had earlier this year may have wiped them out, which is very sad if true. Nancy has night vision binoculars on her. Who on earth owns night vision binoculars? I guess people hunt and camp and it makes sense, but I'm just sheltered and unaware of these things. Nancy keeps an eye on Brenda as they begin to make out. Suddenly, Mike starts pushing Brenda into a bun and Nancy is worried he has a gun because his free hand is in his pocket. Nancy and Ned race out of the car and into the barn and see Brenda and Mike in what looks like a struggle and also what looks like Mike's hands around Brenda's neck. But there was nothing to worry about. They were just continuing their makeout session in private. 
Nancy and Ned make up the excuse that this barn is where they like going in high school and they wanted to get some privacy. So that's a really good cover up because why else would Nancy and Ned be there? Claiming that Nancy and Ned ruined the mood, Mike leaves and goes home. The next day, Nancy speaks to the Batesville police, however, learns nothing and the chief of the police has no interest when Nancy tells him that she may have a lead on Dala's death. Nancy makes plans to speak to them in person. However, she did realize that the number she got from tracing the call that Felix made in Mike's room was the same number as the Batesville Police Department. So that's quite a coincidence. Anyway, they plan to spend the rest of the day following Mike and keeping tabs on him in Ned's car because Mike would not recognize Ned's car. It's a slow day until they see Mike leave the hotel and head for a trailer park. Mike heads into a trailer and Nancy and Ned sneak up to it to listen to see if they can hear anything. It turns out that Felix has learnt that Nancy is a detective. I'm actually surprised Brenda didn't tell Mike that. And Felix tells Mike about the cases that Nancy's been involved in and he makes references to the cases in Buried Secrets and This Side of Evil. Again, I love flashbacks to previous cases. Felix is mad that he let Nancy take Mike's photo and that Brenda spilled their whole route. That's why he flipped the table. And lastly, Felix states, look, the way I figure, we still have a couple of days before Nancy Drew gets enough on us to cause real trouble. That should be enough time for you to sweet talk the Carlton girl into making her move. Time for me to do my work too. His voice dropped threateningly and don't get involved like you did with Darla. And Mike just laughs. Felix, you've got to be kidding. Get involved with Brenda Carton? Not a chance. Yeah, she's pretty, but... Oh, poor Mike. He's just using Brenda. I guess we knew that, but still, to Brenda's going to be really upset when she learns this. Suddenly, a dog that was in the trailer notices Nancy and Ned and starts growling. Felix and Mike realize they are being listened to and unleash the dog. Nancy and Ned make a run for it. They manage to escape without being caught by the dog or Mike and Felix. So afterwards, they go over what they learned. From the discussion, they know that Mike was involved with all three girls, Laura, Dala, and Brenda, and that they have made some money, but it doesn't sound like they murdered Dala. So how did Dala die? Nancy heads to the Batesville Police Department to speak to the chief in person. Ned is on Mike duty and George and Bess are assigned to keeping an eye on Brenda. Nancy makes the usual comment about Nancy being busy on a case and not spending time with him. I was waiting for that comment. It seems to happen in all the books. I wish you'd stop bringing it up though. It's so toxic. He made the decision to stay with Nancy knowing that she's like this and he won't and she won't change. He needs to stop guilting her. Stop being toxic boyfriend Ned. Very bad. Having no luck at the police station, Nancy looks up to camp in the phone book and finds a Howard to camp, who she assumes is a relative of Dala. And pulling up to the de- camp house, Nancy realizes that the house is made from someone with a lot of money. We know that Laura and Brenda both had rich parents, so it would make sense that Dala had rich parents as well. Howard DeCamp wants nothing to do with Nancy until she shows him Mike's photo and turning pasty white, he states, that's the man who killed my daughter. After inviting her inside, he tells her the police won't admit that she was murdered and the man in the photo is called Pete Mitchell, not Mike McKeever. It appears Mike needs a new name for every girl he dates. We learn that Mike and Dallas' situation is a mix between Laura and Brenda's. They met in Florida and Mike follows Dalla to Batesville, getting a job playing at the Waterloo Inn. 
The DeCamps then get a call telling them that Dala and Mike plan to round off and elope, but if the DeCamps pay a caller a large amount of money, they can chase Mike out of town for good. So what did the DeCamps do? They paid half of it. And then she disappeared and they assumed Dala ran away. So they paid the second half to get her back only for her body to turn up in a lake. The police said it was a drowning, but because her skull was fractured, Howard DeCamp believes that Mike knocked her out and threw her into the lake. The Batesville police are being really unhelpful, so I feel like Mike and Felix paid him off. What do you think, detective? Well, not to worry, but who turns up but the chief of the Batesville police? Who tells the DeCamps to ignore Nancy, but they're not having a bar of it. They want to know what happened to their daughter, and Nancy is actually doing something rather than nothing, which is what the police are doing. Nancy asks to be taken to the lake where Dala was found. When she queried if Dala would have swam, Howard DeCamp tells her, no, not in the middle of April. So I did some Google searching, and it turns out in Illinois, in the middle of April... It averages around 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 15 degrees Celsius. So not super cold, but not exactly perfect swimming weather either. Howard DeCamp claims the only reason Dala would have come to the lake is to see Pete, a.k.a. Mike. Next, Nancy heads to the Waterloo Inn, but she learns nothing. On her drive back to River Heights, Nancy notices a green Buick following her and it's none other than Felix Green Buick. He speeds up and hits Nancy's car and Nancy, with her NASCAR skills, slides off the road and then everything goes black. So it actually took three quarters of the book for Nancy to get knocked out. Is this a new record? Like usually it happens within the first couple of chapters. I can't even remember. Nancy half comes to consciousness and overhears a corn farmer talking to the police who is recounting what happened. We learn the Buick went to hit Nancy and she slides into the cornfield. The Buick drove off afterwards and then Nancy passes back out, which is unusual. Not the usual Nancy habit of brushing herself and getting back onto the case. The next time Nancy wakes up, she's in a hospital and Ned tells her she has a mild concussion. Nothing is broken, but Nancy is in a lot of pain. Thank goodness Nancy went to the hospital. It's about time someone took good medical care of her. However, she did go to the hospital and never say die, but quickly left and that wasn't at her will. I guess this wasn't either, but at least she's in hospital. Nancy wants to leave so she can solve the case, but the nurse tells her that is not happening. Then the chief of police from Batesville arrives, whose name I keep forgetting to tell you is Chief Saunders. He wants to know why Nancy visited the DeCamps, and Nancy explains everything. Nancy tells Chief Saunders that Dala had a fractured skull and that her parents think that Pete Mitchell, a.k.a. Mike, killed her and that she knows where Pete, a.k.a. Mike, is. When asked where he could be found, Nancy says to the chief of police, I thought you were not interested. He tells her that he is and it's his deputy is putting on the case and Nancy is to stay out of it. Unfortunately, Chief Saunders, that is unlikely. Nancy will not stay out of it. He threatens to charge her as a material witness to Dala's murder if she doesn't stay out of the case. Um, A material witness is basically another suspect of a crime. Nancy isn't bothered because she knows Carson Drew will stop that for her. The phone rings and it's Dirk to tell her that the fingerprints that he got are from a man called Felix Frankston, who is an escaped murderer and is wanted by the FBI. What? Oh my gosh, Nancy has been so lucky. I wonder if Mike knows that this guy is wanted by the FBI. 
Chief Saunders once again tells Nancy to leave the case to the police. And too bad, Chef, uh, Chief, rather, <laughs> Nancy is not going to listen to you. They want to tell Mr. Carlton this information, but he's still out of town. If you're really worried about your daughter, why would you leave town? Seems suspicious. Nancy manages to get out of the hospital by lying, saying that she'll just go home and rest. Nancy, no, 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 naughty girl. Once she's home, Mr. Carlton calls her and wants to meet her at a park on Alangi Avenue. I thought Carlton was out of town, or Mr. Carlton rather was out of town. Um, now he must all of a sudden be back. Nancy, being all beat up, tells him to meet her at her house. Okay, that's good. I'm glad that Nancy isn't going out to a park to meet up and instead gets Carlton to come to her. She's doing the right thing and resting up. Mr. Carlton too has received a call from a man saying that he could fix the relationship between McKeever and Brendan for a price, but Mr. Carlton wasn't having a bar of it. And then Mr. Carlton unfortunately made the mistake of telling the caller that he has an investigation happening on him and his partner for fraud and that he will put them away for good. Pretty much blowing Nancy's cover. I guess it runs in the family. Brenda and her dad Fraser both like ruining Nancy's cases. Nancy suggests getting the police involved. Good work, Nancy. After all, this guy is wanted by the FBI and I think it is time we get the police involved. Just a side note, anyone else noticed how Nancy gets the police involved immediately in the original series, where here it's always, no police involved, I've got this. It's just a small difference I've noticed between the books. I think what's also annoying in the original books, so I've been reading a couple of them, again, I don't really like them, but I still want to read them just to see why they're so dear to people. Anyway, it feels like the police never do anything in the original texts either. She calls the police and we learn that another friend of hers, Sergeant Tom Robinson, will help her out. He's supposedly helped her out before, but the name isn't ringing any bells. I don't recognize the name from any previous books. Nancy, Ned and Fraser drive to the Carltons. It's, of course, in the rich area of River Heights. I feel like Nancy should be living in that area too, but I think the Drews are just more modest people. Like, surely uh, Carson Drew earns enough money to live in this ritzy area. They check out Brenda's room. It's typical of someone in their late teens, early 20s with clothes everywhere and makeup spilled across the vanity. But what most other late teens, early 20-year-olds have in their bedroom is a note that reads, Dear Daddy, I'm writing this to you so you won't be worried. The most wonderful guy in the world has asked me to go away with him. Mike is a very talented entertainer and I'm sure that with a little help from me, he'll be a real star. I know that if I told you about this, you would have tried to stop me. I'm doing it this way to make it easier for all of us. I'll let you know when we get to where we're going. Don't worry, I know Mike will take good care of me. Love, Brenda. Yikes. First of all, Brenda calling her father daddy is just what I imagined a brat like Brenda would do. And second of all, what on earth? Why would Brenda leave her wealth and her amazing job for this loser? Love really is blind. Nancy notices that Brenda hasn't taken any luggage, so maybe she didn't leave on her own accord. Fraser Carlton is too mad to think properly. Nancy also notices that all of Brenda's jewelry is gone. This looks more and more like a kidnapping to me. 
They split up and Ned and Bess are to head to the motel and George and Nancy are going to Charlie's. They borrow Mr. Carlton's car because Nancy's Mustang is in the Ford shop back in Batesville, getting it fixed after the cornfield crash. At Charlie's, a sign advertising a benefit is being hung up, but Mike is nowhere to be seen. Speaking to the manager, he is furious. Mike has left town and now he's got no axe for the benefits. Mike left without pay and asked the manager to give Brenda a note. Brenda has already seen the manager, taken the note and fled. Nancy calls Carlton to update and we learn that Mike has already checked out of the motel, but... Ned has left Bess there to keep watch in case he comes back and Ned is heading to the trailer park. Unsure, Nancy asks George where they should go. Where would you go if you wanted to meet somebody without being seen? She, George suggests a camping area down by the river. They head there. There's no luck, but then they remember Flanagan's farm. They arrive at the farm and Nancy spots. Felix trailer and tells George to leave and pick up Mr. Carlton, Bess and Ned. Nancy heads into the barn. It's empty and hides in a loft ready to jump down on somebody if needed. Shortly after, Brenda and Mike walk in and Mike is mad that Brenda hasn't brought cash with her. Instead, she's brought her expensive jewelry. Mike's really mad because it can be traced and Brenda's all like, I own this and can sell it so there's no issues. We'll sell it, make a fortune and run away happy together. Ugh, Brenda, you're a reporter. Surely you're smarter than this. Come on. Suddenly, Felix walks in holding a lantern and a gun pointed straight at Brenda. Ooh. He tells Brenda, actually, Miss Carlton, you're not going to get a chance to help us spend that money. Brenda's confused and begs Mike to help and Felix tells her that, I'm afraid our Mike Johnson isn't the type to mess with somebody who's got a gun. Believe me, under all these muscles, there beats a heart of a true coward. Anyway, you're missing the point. He wouldn't help you. We're on the same team, aren't we, boy? Mike is really confused. Why are we tying her up? Why can't we just take the cash, or in this case, jewelry, and run? Maybe Mike didn't kill Dala and Felix did. That would make sense because, yeah, Mike doesn't want to hurt Brenda. He just wants her money. Brenda is still, like, not buying it and tells Mike that they will get out of this and be happy together. Oh, Brenda, some guy's got a gun and Mike is, you know, tying you up yet you still think that everything's okay. Felix tells Brenda that Mike doesn't love her and they have been swindling rich girls out of their money for a while. The past victims have been Dala, Laura, and a girl named Crystal from Indiana. Mike swoons them off their feet and Felix convinces the worried parents to hand over their cash to get rid of Mike. Great plan, honestly. Well done to these guys. And I'm glad Mr. Carlton was worried and had good instinct. Like, Anyone could fall for this plan. No dad wants their daughters involved with a bad guy. Felix mentions that he got rid of Nancy Drew and then Nancy sneezes from the hay and blows her cover. Brenda cries, it's Nancy, and Felix is shocked because he could have sworn that he killed her out on the cornfield the other day. Nancy comes down and gloats that she's alive and well and wonders why Chief Saunders didn't warn Felix that Nancy was alive and okay. We also learn that Chief Saunders was in on the scam as well and when the girl died, he promised to cover it up so he could still get a cut of the money. 
Great. There's a corrupt police officer in Batesville covering up for extortion and murder. No wonder people have trouble trusting police. Mike is confused about the murder. He clearly doesn't know about it. Felix is mad and tells Nancy in typical Nancy Drew writing style, it's time to close this case, Detective Drew. You know, case, it's time to close this case. She's a detective, you know, the usual pun on words. And then he holds a gun to Nancy's temple. Mike starts freaking out. Darla is dead. Felix explained that he had to kill her because he knew that Michael was crazy about Darla and he thought that he would ruin their scheme by falling in love for real. Oh, Mike, I really feel sorry for him now to have your true love taken away because some greedy guy just wants money. That is absolutely terrible. Mike is furious and lunges at Felix. So that's why you wouldn't let me go back and talk to her. She was dead. You killed her that night at the lake. She was dead and I loved her. Okay, I'm almost getting teary-eyed. I'm a sucker for romance. This is so sad. Like, Mike's actually heartbroken. Nancy notices that the lantern Felix was holding when he walked in had fallen over and that a fire was starting. Nancy yells at Brenda and grabs her hand, telling her to get out before the whole place catches a light. But Brenda won't budge. She wants to see Mike get beaten to a pulp after he hurt her. Hell has no theory like a woman scorned, that's for sure. Nancy manages to get them out and Brenda starts crying her eyes out. I actually do feel sorry for Brenda. I love her even though Nancy dislikes her. All of a sudden, Ned, Bess, George and Sergeant Robinson arrive along with a guy in a dark suit who I assume is an FBI agent. They rush towards the barn as it goes up in flames with huge black smoke covering the area. So that was the scene from the front cover with the barn on fire. Felix and Mike walk out of the barn and the FBI agent grabs Felix and Sergeant Robinson grabs Mike. Brenda is screeching, charge Mike with extortion and screams in Mike's face, how could you do this to me? Mr. Carlton arrives and tries to calm her down, but she's still screaming. Daddy, I want him to pay for this. I want him locked up for the rest of his. Mr. Carlton grabs Brenda around the waist and begins to pull her towards his Lincoln. One more word and I'll cut off your allowance for the whole year. <laughs> what, 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 hang on, what allowance? Brenda seems to be the only person in this book with her job. Is her dad not paying her? I think the author needs to read up more on Brenda, but I guess Mr. Carlton threatening Brenda is more amusing. The case is over. The boys have been caught by the police. Another case closed and well done. Good work, Nancy. So we're at the end of the book now. We need the usual typical teenage scene and, you know, to tie up all the loose ends. With this particular one, they're all at the Carlton's house. He's throwing a pool party for Ned, Bess and George. However, Brenda's not there because she wrote a newspaper article for the Times but lied. Brenda wrote an article at which stated, Most wanted criminal brought to justice. On Saturday night, after a long and hazardous undercover investigation, a staff reporter of today's Times revealed the whereabouts of Felix Frankston, an escape murderer known to be very dangerous. Nancy's like, what? That's not what happened. Brenda didn't do anything. It was all me. And Mr. Carlton said, yes, that's exactly right. So Brenda has to be taught a lesson and learn to write factually. So Brenda's up in her room writing an article which tells the 100% the truth, which is good. I'm glad that Mr. Calden is giving his daughter ethical journalism lessons because how I don't even trust journalists these days. The media is just like, ah. So Brenda's hopefully getting some good skills put into her. 
We get caught up on what happens with Mike and Felix. We learn that Mike's real name is Mike Johnson and that he got a plea bargain for a five-year suspended sentence in the DeCamp extortion. He doesn't get in trouble for Dulles' murder because it seems like that he didn't know about it. Ned is like, oh, that's kind of not very good. A five-year sentence is pretty light. But um, then Nancy tells him that she got the whole story from Dirk Bowman and it was pretty sad. Turns out Mike was a teenage runaway. Uh, Felix picked him up in New York and tricked him into the first con job and then ever since they worked together. So yeah, poor Mike. Hopefully he's going to get his life back on track. He also needs to live with knowing that his actions caused the death of a girl that he loved. So that was very sad. As for Felix, he's going back to jail without passing go. So there's a Monopoly reference in that. So that's cool. I like when they reference real life board games and Monopoly is such a classic. Everybody knows Monopoly. All of a sudden, uh, a Mr. Perkins arrives. He is the FBI agent that was at the barn and he wants to speak to Nancy. He basically thanks her for the help because they've been on his trail for quite a while and congratulates Nancy on her fine detective work. Nancy asks him what's going to happen to Chief Saunders and he was arrested in Batesville and charged with obstruction of justice and aiding an escaped felon. The DA thinks that they can build a case for criminal conspiracy in the death of Dala as well. So that will put him in jail most likely. And then he says to Nancy if he could ever be help in any of Nancy's cases just to give him a call. So it'll be interesting if we see Mr. Perkins come up in future books. How did the FBI get involved in this anyway? Well, it turns out that when Dirk in Fort Lauderdale couldn't get a match, he sent the prince to Washington and then Washington got a hit on the escaped felon, which was Felix. We also learned that Nancy called Dirk to thank him for his help and he said with pleasure and if you ever wanted a job, he could get her a job as a police officer at the Fort Lauderdale Police Station. I can't imagine Nancy as a cop. Like, Nancy is very independent. She doesn't want to live by the rules. I mean, then you can't really break into, like, houses and hotel rooms and everything else Nancy breaks into if you're a police officer. Brenda appears and her dad tells her to thank Nancy and her friends for the help. Brenda being Brenda says that she didn't need Nancy Drew's help. If she had more time, she would have figured it out for herself. Mr. Carlton's very mad about that and forces Brenda to apologize to Nancy and her friends and much to Brenda's disgust, she does. And then she says, well, just wait till next time. I'm just as good as a detective as you are. And uh, Nancy says, sure, Brenda, I don't need any help. Thanks. Brenda's all angry about this, storms off and then falls in the pool. And then they make jokes and say, huh, I guess we have to save Brenda again. And they all giggle and that's the end. Well, what did we all think of that book? I quite enjoyed it. Not a five star book. I'll say like a three and a half star. There was no real mystery. She was just keeping an eye on Mike and doing a favor for Mr. Carlton. And it turns out that, yes, he was a bad guy and they proved that he was a bad guy. There was no hookups for our crew. Brenda did kiss Mike, but we're not keeping track of Brenda's hookups. Uh, As for River Heights, we learned that there's a library. They've got an abandoned farm. They have an abandoned drive-in cinema. 
And there's country towns two hours away, but again, those aren't real places, so I couldn't get an accurate location of River Heights. I'm still going to say it's in the Northbrook area of Illinois. I would love to hear your opinion on where you think it is. As for near-death experiences, it was just just the car accident. So we've just got the one in this book. And that wraps up everything for Case 22, Fatal Attraction. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, my handle is Nancy Drew Podcast. If you'd like to email me, you can at hello nancydrewpodcast.com or send me a DM on Instagram. The show notes can be found at nancydrewpodcast.com. And I will see you next time, detective, for case number 23, Sinister Paradise, where the crew are in none other but Hawaii. See you next time. Bye, detective.